Hello, and welcome to World of Warbirds. I'm Brian Pierce. Firstly, I do want to apologize for the long delay in getting this episode out there. My day job is in education, and getting ready for the school year in 2020, during COVID times, has taken every scrap of my time and attention. Perhaps as things get going, I'll have more time to devote to podcasting. My fingers are crossed, but let's get started. You know those psychological tests where they ask you the first thing that pops into your head when a word is said? I bet for a lot of Warbirds fans, if they are asked what airplane pops into their head when they hear the word Luftwaffe, if it's not the Stuka, then it's probably the BF-109. This is a warbird that could have ended up becoming obsolete during the war, but didn't due to constant updates and ended up serving with the Luftwaffe right through the conflict until the end and even after the war with other countries. So stay tuned to learn about this legendary warbird, including why it is sometimes called the BF-109 and sometimes called the ME-109. What's up with that? Unlike some aircraft, the 109 story is so tied up with its designer that we have to profile Willie Messerschmitt in some detail first in order to appreciate just how astonishing it was that the 109 came to be at all. Wilhelm Emil Willie Messerschmitt was born on the 26th of June, 1898 in Frankfurt. Before World War I, he and a friend, Frederick Harth, were involved with designing and building gliders. At the outbreak of war, Harth joined the military, while Messerschmitt continued working on gliders until 1917, when Willie too joined the army. Following the war, both men continued to build gliders and started a flying school, while Willie also attended the Technical University of Munich, graduating in 1923. That same year, he and Harth dissolved their partnership and started their own business. Willie's business progressed from gliders to motor gliders and finally to light-powered aircraft. He finally began working at Bayerisch Flugzeugwerk BFW, Bavarian Aircraft Works, which was an older aircraft company which had been recently reformed in 1926. He became chief designer and engineer and formed a design team in 1927. His first work with BFW was not auspicious and was almost the end of his design career. He designed the M20, which was a high-wing, 10-seat passenger aircraft built for Lufthansa. The problem was that the prototype of the M20 crashed and killed Hans Hackmack, which was a terrible bit of luck. Not only for Hackmack, but also for Willie. Why? Hackmack just happened to be a good friend of Earnhardt Milch. And who was he? He was the head of Deutsche Lufthansa, which was bad enough for Willie, and was soon to be the State Secretary of the Reich Ministry of Aviation, RLM. The story goes that Milch did not like Willie's response to the death of Hackmack. And what that response actually was, I have not found the answer. Maybe Willie blamed Hackmack? I, I don't know, but whatever it was, it angered Milch, who seemed to be a serious grudge keeper. 
Although Willie ended up building and selling the M20 to Lufthansa, Milch eventually cancelled all contracts with Messerschmitt and forced BFW into bankruptcy in 1931. Although Hugo Junkers was able to intervene and get BFW back in business in 1933, Milch's bullying kept Willie from achieving prominence within the company, which is why all the versions of the aircraft were prefixed with BF instead of ME. The bullying was so bad that once even, Willie spread the word that he was thinking of leaving the aviation industry and accepting a teaching position at Danzig Technical University. Milch and the RLM basically told him that it was a great idea, as his work as an aircraft designer was of, of no importance to the industry, in quotes. Good luck with the new teaching job, and don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. But Willie really couldn't be stopped. His next design was the BF-108. This was a light, four-seat sport aircraft. It was basically akin to a light Cessna or Piper aircraft of today. It was very popular due to its low fuel consumption, nimble handling, and great takeoff and landing characteristics. They built over 800 of the model, and these were in operation right until the end of the war as a light transport, and the French company Nord Aviation actually built more of them after the war, calling them the Nord 1000 Penguin. Design and Development In 1933, the RLM published the requirements for a new single-seat fighter. Rüstung Flugzeug III was to be a short-range interceptor. It needed to have a top speed of 400 kilometers per hour, that's 250 miles per hour, at 6,000 meters or 19,690 feet. And this had to be maintained for 20 minutes, while having an endurance of 90 minutes. It had to be able to climb to 6,000 meters in no more than 17 minutes, and the fighter was to have a ceiling of 10,000 meters. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a bit, usually the main subject of the episode is developed from an earlier specimen of the same type. The Hawker Hurricane came from the Hawker Fury. The Avro Lancaster came from the Avro Manchester. The Curtis P-40 Warhawk was an updated P-36 Hawk. It's pretty amazing, then, that the fierce 109 was derived from the little 108, an airplane type that a dad and mom could take for a $100 hamburger on a Saturday afternoon. Maybe it allowed Willie Messerschmitt to start from scratch, unhindered by previous fighter designs, and the natural time and work-saving compulsion to basically copy and paste from their earlier models. It allowed Messerschmitt the freedom to design what has been described as the first true modern fighter of the era. Willie Mischerschmidt was all about lightweight construction. One design feature that is always mentioned is the revolutionary firewall bracket. In most aircraft of the time, you would build a frame, attach brackets at various locations to hold the engine, the landing gear, etc. Mischerschmidt decided to reduce weight by eliminating most of these brackets and instead having everything bolted to one, albeit complex, bracket at the firewall. Amazingly, the wing spar, engine mount, and landing gear were all bolted to the same bracket, making the fuselage very light. Attaching the landing gear to the fuselage via this bracket allowed some real advantages when it came to the wings. First, 
the wings could be made very light, as they didn't have to handle the loads coming through the landing gear for landing and takeoff. A major bonus was that the entire wing could be uh, removed for servicing, without having to brace up the aircraft. Without the wing, the aircraft would just sit there on its fuselage-mounted gear. Speaking of wings, they were made additionally light by reducing the number of wing spars from two to one. The spars run from the wing root out to the tip, providing strength to the wing. Usually, in the planes of the era, there were two spars, one near the front and one near the rear. However, Messerschmitt decided to replace these two spars with one, which was fashioned in the shape of a box, which was quite stiff torsionally or in terms of twisting. This meant that the rear spar could be eliminated. Messerschmitt knew that high-speed flight would be critical to a fighter design, so he went beyond the official requirement for wing loading in order to make his fighter's wings smaller and thus faster in high-speed flight. In airplane design, you know that there's always a trade-off. With this high wing loading, it meant that the aircraft would have to have a very fast landing and takeoff speed. This isn't good, as it would require longer runways, and operationally it would lead to more accidents and losses of aircraft and pilots. So, how do you get both high-speed flight and low-speed landings and takeoffs? Messerschmitt designed some leading-edge slats into his wings that would automatically snap open during low-speed flight and would change the shape of the wing to create more lift and prevent a wing stall. He also made the flaps quite large, which again allowed the pilot to slow the aircraft down for landing. And lastly, Messerschmitt designed the ailerons to droop or hang lower when the flaps were extended, which basically made the ailerons act like extra flaps. A complication that would dog the aircraft throughout its whole operational life was the thin and light-mounted wings. It would be hard to put a lot of heavy weaponry into these wings. Initially, two guns were mounted in the nose synchronized to fire through the prop disc. There were also plans to have a motor cannon mounted. This would be a gun firing right through the center of the engine. Another notable design feature was the radiator cutoff system. The Jumo 210 engine was a liquid-cooled system, which is always vulnerable in combat. One bullet in the radiator can mean the end of your engine. Messerschmitt designed two smaller rads with a cutoff system that could be employed to isolate one damaged radiator and operate on the other. Prototypes The first prototype, which had the civilian registration D-IABI, was ready in May 1935. What was not ready was the Junkers Jumo 210 which was supposed to power the new fighter. Instead, the first 109 was actually powered by a Kestrel 6 engine, purchased from Rolls-Royce. After four months of testing, the aircraft was delivered to the Luftwaffe's Central Test Center to take part in the design competition for the fighter contract. Although there were actually four fighters taking part in the competition, the Arado AR-80, Fuckawolf FW-159, the Henkel HE-112, and the Messerschmitt BF-109, two of them were out of the running fairly early. It's pretty remarkable that Kurt Tank, 
the eventual designer of the legendary FW-190, would submit such a weird-looking and uninspired aircraft as a Falkenwolf uh, FW-159. It had a parasol wing configuration, which makes it look like a fighter plane hung under a Cessna 172 wing, complete with the wing struts. It had a lot of drag and an overly complicated undercarriage and was a complete disappointment. It was quickly out of the competition and in the end they only built three of them. The Arado AR-80 was too heavy and also had the very annoying and inconvenient habit of having the undercarriage get stuck in the half-deployed position. The maddening fact was that it would work perfectly on the ground when the airplane was on jacks, but in the air it would get stuck due to the air pressure on the front of the wing strut. So the AR-80 was out of the competition too. Now it was just the Henkel HE-112 versus the Messerschmitt BF-109. The Henkel HE-112 actually has the same lines as the Aerocobra, although the engine was in the conventional location in the nose. Speaking of engines, during the start of the competition, the HE-112 was also being powered by the Rolls-Royce Kestrel engine, just like the 109. Going into the competition, the Henkel was seen as the favorite, with the 109 being the unknown underdog. Once the competition started, the Henkel's bigger and thicker wing allowed it to turn faster. However, the 109's lightweight design made it 20 miles per hour faster. The 109 was more agile in flight and had better aerobatic abilities. Even when both aircraft had the Jumo engine installed, the 109 came out on top and was declared the winner in October 1936. Although Henkel would go on to build about 100 112s, the Luftwaffe would be using the 109 as their main fighter in the upcoming conflict. Production Before we look at the production of the 109, let's get the naming convention out of the way. When the 109 was designed, Willie was being held back from acquiring his aircraft company by the bullying of State Secretary of the Reich Ministry of Aviation, RLM, Erhard Milch. Remember that Milch had a serious and long-term grudge against Willie, which sounds like something out of high school. I work in a high school, and this is pretty high school. So, the 109 was originally prefixed as BF for Bayerisch Flugzeugwerk, which means Bavarian Aircraft Works. However, on the 11th of July, 1938, the company was renamed Messerschmitt AG. Every new airplane designed after this time would carry the ME designation. The 109 ended up having lots of nicknames. First, although it was officially a BF, it was mainly known as the ME 109 to the Allies, and this name was even used within the Luftwaffe. The name was also known as the Messer. This wasn't just an abbreviation of Messerschmitt, but also the German word for knife, which is pretty damn cool. Luftwaffe personnel would also nickname the various variants of the 109 based on the German spelling alphabet. For example, Anton, Berta, Caesar, for the A, B, and C variants. Soviet pilots called the BF-109, in quotes, the skinny one, when compared to the more thick FW-190. No matter what you call it, they built an enormous number of them. During the war, they built almost 34,000 examples of all variants, 
and more than a thousand more were built after the war under license in Czechoslovakia and Spain. During the war, the majority of the type were built in Regensburg and Leipzig, with other production occurring at a few other locations. Operational History In mid-1937, the first Messerschmitt BF-109 fighters were sent to Spain to fight as part of the Condor Legion. To learn more about the history of this actual conflict, look up my friend and fellow podcaster Greg Brown's 20th Century Facts and Events. His last two episodes are all about the Spanish Civil War. The 109 was brought in to phase out the Henkel HE-51 biplanes and to supplement the 100 or so Henkel HE-112s, the fighter that had been beaten by Messerschmitt in the fighter competition. The 109s were very successful against the Republicans' Soviet-built Polykarpov I-115s and Polykarpov's I-116s, although about 20 109s were lost in Spain. The Spanish Civil War served as an excellent testing ground for both tactics and machines, and several new variants were introduced and tested in combat during the conflict. 22 A versions were built, and these should be seen as flying prototypes, with none of them being exactly the same as multiple changes were made to the cockpit, engine, holes for machine gun ventilation, and the oil cooler was moved several times to prevent overheating. During and after the Spanish Civil War and towards the outbreak of the hostilities of the Second World War, Messerschmitt built the B, C, D, and E variants. The first three variants can be seen as tinkering with the original version. The B-type got a new engine, and at first a two-bladed fixed-pitch prop, and then later a constant-speed one. This version flew in the Spanish Civil War, but was felt to not have sufficient armament. They built about 340 of them. The C version, again, had a slightly stronger engine and redesigned and strengthened wings to carry two more 7.92mm machine guns. They only built about 60 of them. The D version was the standard Luftwaffe type in use before the outbreak of World War II. 647 of these were built and were armed with two 7.92 machine guns in the nose and two more in the wings. The 109E, known as the Emil, was a major redesign of the aircraft. The Emil arrived in time for service in Spain and fought in Poland, France, and the Battle of Britain. There were many sub-varieties of the Emil, but to keep things simple, we'll describe them all as a group here. The Emil got a whole new engine with the 1,085 horsepower Daimler-Benz DB601 engine, which gave the aircraft 300 more horsepower, but with the addition of 300 pounds more of weight. You can tell the Emil by the longer nose cowling. This bigger, more powerful engine also produced a lot of extra heat, which needed to be dispersed somewhere. It was decided that adding a bigger radiator to the nose would add too much weight and drag, so small radiators were added to the undersides of the wings just forward of the wing flaps. The wings needed to be modified and strengthened to handle the new plumbing and the weight of the radiator system. What looks like a small radiator in the nose is actually the oil cooler. The Emil had a more square-shaped canopy that was easier to produce quickly, 
and had better visibility. There was also the addition of wing-mounted cannons with thin-cased explosive shells. The 109 had always been imagined as a short-range interceptor. However, several changes to the Emil made the aircraft more versatile. Some had fittings added to allow the 109 to carry a 500-pound bomb, making the aircraft a Jagdbomber, or fighter bomber. Short-range and limited endurance had become a problem, and so additions were made so that the Emil could carry a standard 300-liter drop tank, which doubled the range from 410 to 820 miles. For use on the planned Graf Zeppelin aircraft carrier, a naval version of the 109 was designed and several earlier versions were modified to test the concept. These were known as the T version for Trager, which means carrier in German. Tail hook and catapult fittings were added, however, the wings could not be folded. Instead, the ship's elevators were designed with the 109's windspan in mind. They were going to build the ship around the plane. However, the aircraft carrier never became a reality, so these T models were transferred to training units. The F model involved many, many modifications and improvements. The fuselage was generally smoothed and made more aerodynamic. And with this change and other changes, the range was extended to over a thousand miles with a drop tank. Even the new fat spinner, being borrowed from the ME-210, was changed to blend aerodynamically into the cowling. New armor and improved self-sealing fuel tanks were added. The elbow-type supercharger inlet was extended further into the slipstream. There are actually more adjustments that can be listed here, but Messerschmitt tinkered with the wing shape, the rudder size, the aileron and slat design, and the cutoff valves were added to the radiators to allow the pilot to isolate a damaged rad and fly on the other one, the good one. Armament was now two synchronized 7.92mm MG17s with 500 rounds each above the engine, plus a motor cannon firing through the propeller hub. Many Luftwaffe pilots considered the F to be the finest handling 109 so far. It's interesting that the F version involved so much aerodynamic cleanup, while the Gustav or G version introduced so many new bumps and bulges that it was named Die Bull, the bulge. The fuselage bulges were needed to contain larger guns, while on the wings, more bulges were needed to cover bigger tires. There were Gustavs made for some very specialized roles, from high altitude flight with nitrous oxide injection and pressurized cockpits, to long range fighter bombers with two underwing 300 liter drop tanks and one centerline 1000 liter bomb. There were also reconnaissance, tropicalized, and bomber buster versions, which were able to carry spin-stabilized standoff rockets designed to break up big bomber form formations. If it seems at this time that there were an astonishing and confusing number of models, variants, and modification kits, you're right. Just imagine trying to keep all these types in service, including all the different spare parts required. The K version was the answer. It was a standard model with more interchangeable parts and equipment and with the production rationalized. Production started in 1944. Although the 109 remained competitive as a fighting machine until the end of the war, the quality of the rush-trained 
Luftwaffe pilots at the time meant that they were little match for the scores of Allied machines with better trained pilots. One possible 109 that needs to be mentioned is the BF-109Z Zwilling, which was a twin 109, which is very reminiscent of the F-82 twin Mustang, except that the Messerschmitt version would have only one pilot flying from the left side and the right cockpit would be fared over. It was never built. There were also plans for a Jet 109 called the 109TL, which would have had two Junkers Jumo 004B1 turbojets slung under the wings. However, it was decided to focus all the company's jet attention on the ME262, and the 109TL was abandoned. The amazing thing about the 109 is that it continued to be produced even after the war in Czechoslovakia as the Avia S99 and the Avia S199 and in Spain as the Hispano Aviacion HA1112 Svipala and Bouchon. The Avias, however, had poor engines which caused some of the Czech pilots, who had been spoiled flying Spitfires for the RAF, called the aircraft Mezek or Mule. Some of the Spanish versions remained in service until the 1960s, and you've probably seen them on the silver screen, playing the roles of actual BF-109s in films such as the Battle of Britain and the Tuskegee Airmen. Lastly, it's truly remarkable that several of the Czech S-199s were sold to Israel as the start of the new Israeli Air Force. It's really ironic that an aircraft that was so intrinsic to the Nazi regime ended up helping to start the new Air Force of the new Jewish state. Pilots. I was originally going to profile Adolf Galland as representative of Luftwaffe pilots who flew the 109, but I have decided to save him for another Messerschmitt machine in a later episode, the 262. Instead, we are going to look at Werner Mulder, who rose to the rank of Oberst and was credited with over 100 kills in the 109. Mulders was born on the 18th of March, 1913. His father, who was an infantry officer, was killed during the First World War in 1915. Mulders himself joined the army as an officer cadet in 1931. Like several very successful Warbirds pilots that we have looked at, his illustrious flying career was never guaranteed. Mulders had always dreamed of flying, and he applied for pilot training, but was initially rejected. However, he persevered and was later accepted on conditional basis in 1934. During his early training, he suffered horribly from air sickness. However, he pushed on and eventually got over it. He qualified and became an instructor and staff captain, or squadron leader, of the training squadron of Jagdschwader 134, Horst Vessel. In 1936, he volunteered for service with the Condor Legion and was assigned to Jagdgruppe 88. Initially under the command of Adolf Galland, but later Mulders took over when Galland returned to Germany. Although the unit flew the Henkel HE-51 at the start of the conflict, they switched over to the B variant of the 109. Mulders quickly became the top ace of the Condor Legion, shooting down 15 Soviet-built aircraft of various types, including the I-15 and I-16. 
During his time in Spain, Mulders and his contemporaries perfected the flying formation known as the Finger Four. This is where the fighters flew in two Rotten, or elements, of two aircraft each, with two Rotten, four aircraft, making up a swarm. swarm. The formation can be seen by placing the four fingers minus the thumb on a table. This formation allowed the Luftwaffe fighter pilots to have better visibility, mutual protection, and encouraged pilot initiative in combat. During the phony war period, Mulders was credited with shooting down the first Hawker hurricane of the war. Up until the beginning of the invasion of France, Mulders was credited with knocking down a total of one Bristol, Bristol Blenheim, two Curtis P-36 Hawks, two Morin Saulnier MS-406s, and four Hawker Hurricanes. On the 5th of June 1940, Mulders was flying in Emil 109 when he was actually shot down by Sous-Lutna René Pommier Laraugue who was flying a French Air Force Duantin D-520. Laraugue actually didn't have time to gloat for long, as he was shot down and killed immediately after he brought down Mulders. Mulders was captured by the French and was held as a POW until the end of the Battle of France and was liberated with the armistice with France. He returned to Germany and took over command of Jagdschwader 51, which was based in Calais. During the Battle of Britain, Mulders was credited with 30 victories, even though he was out of the battle for several periods of time, once when he was hit in the leg during a dogfight with South African ace Sailor Milan, and later when he came down with a serious case of the flu. JG-51 was sent to the Eastern Front and quickly racked up impressive numbers of victories against the Soviet Air Force. On the first day of Barbarossa, Mulders shot down three Tupolev SB bombers and one Curtis Hawk. On the 30th of June, Mulders earned a title as the highest scoring fighter pilot in the history of aerial warfare after shooting down five Russian bombers. He had 82 victories, which was two more than the Red Baron had earned in World War I. By July 15th, he had passed the 100 victory mark and was awarded the Knight's Cross of the Iron Cross with oak leaves, swords, and diamonds by none other than the Fuhrer himself. It was decided that his potential loss would be too hard on the nation, so he was banned from further combat flying. He was appointed to a position known as the Inspector of Fighters, which allowed him to fly around in his own personal Fleiser F1-156 Stork, to visit various units to make sure that they were following the best tactical and operational doctrine. Even though he was not officially allowed in combat, Mulder still managed to get a few more kills by arranging, in quotations, training flights where he would show other pilots how it was done by shooting down some more enemies. It's estimated that he got 30 more kills in this way. As he was unable to log them himself, he gave them to the person he was instructing to put in their own logbooks. On the 22nd of November 1941, Mulders was flying as a passenger in, in a Henkel HE 111 in order to travel from Crimea to Germany for the funeral of his superior, Ernst Udet. During an attempt to land at Breslau during a thunderstorm, the aircraft crashed and the pilot and several passengers were killed, including Mulders. It seemed so unfitting that this aerial killer would be brought down by a simple plane crash due to bad weather. 
but investigators stated that he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. So, always wear your seatbelt. Mulder's influence even continued after his death. In his honor, his old unit, Jagashvater 51, was renamed Mulder's immediately after the announcement of his death. Members of the unit wore a cuff band inscribed with Mulder's, well, on their cuff. Survivors. There are many surviving 109s around, although some of them are actually the post-war produced Spanish versions converted to look like 109s. This is partly because the production of the Battle of Britain movie coincided with the retirement of many of these aircraft, which allowed them to be saved from the boneyard. One of the most interesting surviving airworthy 109s is G-CIPB. She was a BF-109 Emil built as hull number 3579 by Erla Machinewerk at Leipzig in 1939. She fought during the Battle of Britain and was damaged by a Spitfire and forced to belly land near Calais in France. Patched up, she returned to fight again and was brought down again, this time crashing into a marsh on the eastern front at Pia Orzo, Russia. There she would remain until 1992 when she was recovered and restored to flying condition over the next year. She has had a variety of owners over the years, but presently resides at the Biggin Hill Heritage Hangar in the UK, where she gets along just fine with the Spitfires and Hurricanes that at one time would have been her enemy. Speaking of survivors, you may or may not be wondering, whatever happened to old Willie Messerschmidt? Yes, he survived the war, and in 1948 was tried and convicted of collaborating with the Nazi regime and using slave labor. After doing two years of prison, he was released, and he got right back to work as head of the company. Until 1955, when Germany was again allowed to manufacture aircraft, he paid the bills by having his company build sewing machines, prefab buildings, and even small cars. The Messerschmitt cabin roller is one weird-looking car, looking like a mashup of an airplane tandem cockpit, a motorcycle, and a go-kart. Amazingly, they built 15,000 of them. Later, Willie got back to aircraft design, designing the Hispano HA-200 jet trainer in Spain. Back in Germany, he and his company built the Fiat G91 and the Lockheed F-104 Starfighter under license for the West German Luftwaffe. Willie's last design was the Hell-1 HA-300 a light supersonic fighter for the Egyptian Air Forces. Willie died on the 15th of September, 1978, in a Munich hospital. The Messerschmitt company went through a series of merges, which culminated in Airbus SE. So when you get on an Airbus airliner, just imagine, there's a little bit of Messerschmitt DNA in there. You can always check out the pictures on the World of Warbirds Facebook page in order to better see the various types of aircraft described today, and feel free to give us some feedback or suggest a future topic.